Praise the Lord. Welcome again. Take your Bibles, if you will. Take your copy of the Word of God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as I said earlier, we have this message and one more, God willing. Uh, of course, He can change that uh, as, as He sees fit. He is the shepherd of this church. I am just a sheepdog, I reckon. But uh, we, are, we are here to serve the Lord and uh, to preach His Word. And uh, we have a, a message this morning. I believe the Lord's given me a message that's a little different, at least in my mind. I don't know how the delivery would be any different to you. But it's a little bit more on the, on the teaching side, a little more on the application side. Uh, but some truths here uh, really found in the Word about the Word. Uh, you know, it's, again, it's, I just want to say that it's, I appreciate that prayer, uh, Brother, Brother Tyler there, and, and, your, and, your, and your words there about us being a community. And it is it is fantastic to be in the house of the Lord, to be around fellow believers. And we might be different in many areas, but we have one commonality, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest commonality that any two people can ever have. And uh, it is good to be in the house this morning. And I, I would love to get back to those days when we can just, I don't know, sit next to somebody that's not related to you, not blood related anyway. Well, I guess it's still blood related We're under the cross. But just to wrap your arms around somebody and shake hands and all of those things, it's, it's got to be close because we're going to just go crazy if it don't happen, right? So we're going we're gonna to trust the Lord. Uh, but then you can see in our text here this morning as we, as we get started here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you, as you know, we've been studying through this entire epistle this month and last month. And I hope it's been a blessing to you this morning. And I hope that this morning's sermon will be a blessing to you as well. And it will actually, as we come together as a church, I hope it creates within us a greater desire to serve the God behind the text, the God who inspired this text. So in chapter three, just to give you kind of a, because we're not going to read the entire, entirety of the chapter, but after listing uh, many of the attributes, if you remember, verse one talks about this know also in the last days, and a lot of these things are, are going to transpire. So after listing many of those ev uh, attributes that will be evident in the last days, and by the way, we are kind of living in the last days. The Bible refers to the latter days, the last days, as all of the time period referring to after the resurrection of the Christ. So the church age is the last days. There are a few exceptions where he says the latter days, but for the most part, when you read last days in the Bible, it's a reference to the church age. And in this text here, and even in, if you want to jump over to, still in chapter 3, look at verse 13, it kind of gives us the idea of how these, how these last days kind of, kind of make sense to us. He says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So all the, the negative things, if you will, the attributes, the characteristics of the latter days, they were all present in the first century. But as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, they will be more adamant. They will be more, uh, they will wax worse and worse using the Bible's language here. So after listing all these attributes that will be evident in the last days, and after listing how Timothy could know and trust that Paul was following the Lord. Remember, he says, you know me, you're going to follow me. The Bible here, God through Paul, gives us some criterion, give us the criterion needed to ensure that our spiritual leaders, that would be me, that would be anybody who you allow to influence you. Uh, whether It doesn't matter what it is, if they're speaking. And by the way, let's just broaden that a little bit. Anybody that we allow to influence us what we consider spiritual or not spiritual or secular, we must be very careful. It must, 
We must think of the spiritual before we think of anything else. And the Bible gives us, again, the criterion needed to make sure that our influencers are following Christ and therefore they are fit to follow. And we talked about that last week. And that criterion is the Word of God. We talked about that. And we're going to talk about the Word of God today because Paul here, in a number of verses here, puts a lot of emphasis on this book, on the Word of God. It aids us in many things. In all areas of our life, all areas of our life, there is something that the Bible has to say about to help us get to be more like Christ. And with with that said, with all that kind of by way of introduction, if you will, look at verse 14 of chapter 3. We're going to read now into into chapter 4, but look at verse 14 of chapter 3. Paul writes to Timothy and God to us says, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heat to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But you watch. And we'll, we'll, we'll pause right there. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time, this opportunity to be in your house, the gathering of your saints, your children, the bride of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for the inspiration. We thank you for the Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, we do thank you for the consistency and the trustworthy trustworthiness and the inerrancy and so many more things of your words to us, your scriptures, Lord. And uh, Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So I want you, before we kind of get a little bit too far on this, go back to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And I want you to look at verse 21. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. The Bible says, If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So we talked about that when we were there, but Paul gave us some things, how we can be fit for the Father's use. And back in 17 of chapter 3, he writes again that the man of God, now that man of God talks about all of humanity. It's, we're not, this is not written in the 21st century. This is written in the 1st century. That refers to all of humanity, that the people of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible even continues in chapter 4, all the way down in verse number 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So I realize that Paul is instructing Timothy here, who is a pastor of a church, uh, to do some things. But these things are applicable to us. 
even if we are not pastoring a church. They are, they are all applicable. As a matter of fact, the entirety of text is generally applicable to every believer in some form and some, to some extent. Because let's face it, if we are true believers, if we have a desire to follow the Savior, if we truly desire to be like Christ, right? If I were to show hands, I would, I would assume that every single Christian would say, I want to be more like Christ. Because why would we not want to be more like Christ? We've committed our lives to follow Christ. So we all should have a desire to be made perfect, as the Bible talks about here, to be thoroughly furnished, furnished by God to do good works. So I've taken this as the title of today's sermon, Thoroughly Furnished. This is what we want to be. We should have a desire to do this. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man be clean? And, it, and the psalmist finishes by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. This is irreplaceable. This is remarkable. We need this. And, and we can see in our text here in 2 Timothy that knowing the word thoroughly. Remember, look at there again. Verse Chapter 3, verse 15, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to do some things. And then all Scripture is inspired by God. So knowing the word thoroughly, all the way down to the end of that chapter, it thoroughly furnishes us as individual believers. We need it. We need it. So preaching the word thoroughly. For, for, so there's two different things here. I got the on, on, on the screen here, but I got just two points this morning. With many subpoints, but there's two main points this morning, and the first one is know the word, and the second one is preach the word. So the first one has a lot to do with what we are internally, and then the other one has to do with what we are responsible to do because of what we are internally and what we know. Now, the second one, preaching the word, there's a lot of responsibility to us as we are preached to, but there's also a responsibility to share the word of God. So knowing the word furnishes us individually. Preaching the word furnishes us as a church collectively to do the work of an evangelist to those outside the church so that they, too, can be thoroughly furnished. Right. If we have a, have a desire to be like Christ, we know that Christ has a desire for all to be saved. He is not willing that any should perish. So our desire to, should be that everybody, every person that we come in contact with should be, also be thoroughly furnished. And I have these tracks down here. You know, Easter's coming. It's the, it's the greatest time of year to invite folks. Probably greater than, than Christmas. Because this is the cross. This is the resurrected Savior we're talking about. Let's tell the world. You don't have to take one of these, but please, feel free to take them. But invite people that you know that are either believers and need that charge, if you will, to get right with the Lord. And those who do not know Christ, tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what it means to be Christ-like, to be followers. What did he say to the fishermen there? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We need to fish for men. These are our commands here back in the text here to know the word and to preach the word. And in our text here, we're going to begin where the Bible begins just in this in this passage here. Look again at verse number 14 of chapter three. The Bible says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So first again, we must know the word. We must know the word, you know. 
the faith and practice of Hohenfels Baptist Church is distinctly Baptist. Y'all probably saw the sign outside. Uh, and what I mean by that is not anything culturally related. And what I mean by that this morning is that our supreme authority is the Bible. If there's a very popular acrostic out that floats around among Baptists and it has B-A-P-T-I-S-T. And that first one is Bible authority. We believe in the Bible. We believe the supreme authority of the word of God. I mean, why would we not? Uh, and there are a handful of other distinctions, of course, derived from the Bible that also make us Baptists, but they all begin with being submissive to the text. No matter what, to be submissive to the text. And truthfully, submission to the primacy of Scripture should not be a Baptist thing. It should be a Christian thing. We should all be uh, submissive to the text. It should be a characteristic of every true believer in the Lord. Job uh, said that I have esteemed the words of his mouth, God's mouth, more than my necessary food. Now, I don't think that his wife would have made him some, some chicken and dumplings that he didn't like. And she put it in front of him. He says, oh, I've esteemed the words of the Lord greater. No, he was serious. He wanted to follow the, the word of the Lord. Psalm 119 says, Thy word, 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do we believe that? A lamp unto my feet and a light. That shows me where I'm at now and shows me where I'm going. We need the word of God. And Paul here Writing under the inspiration of God gives us five benefits of Scripture, five unchanging truths. These are subpoints here. Hopefully, we'll be done on time here. But they are designed to thoroughly furnish us as a people of God. But before we get to those things, I want to draw your attention again to the first eight words of verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, there are some who say, well, Paul is referring to the Old Testament. Maybe. But Peter said that all of Paul's writings were Scripture. Right? So all of Paul's writings were Scripture. So Paul might have been referring to that. And that's a part of how we understand the text of Scripture grammatically and what it meant to the readers, what the intent of the writer and all those things like that. But God is the ultimate author. And he says, all Scripture, all of my words are inspired by me, the Word of God that we have in our hands here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Put another way, these are God's words to us. God's words to humanity. They are perfect words from a perfect God. Jesus stated multiple times that the Scriptures cannot be broken. I'm convinced that, I'm, at least in my life, I didn't want to read this and I don't want to commit my life to this because it demands some things from me. It asked me to do some things. It asked me to surrender self and submit myself to the Savior. I think that's probably the greatest reason why people don't read the Bible. Maybe it's down and deep. It certainly was for me. I, didn't, I wouldn't tell you that I, when I was not living for the Lord. I don't want to read that. It makes me do some things. But I was sharing with a, a friend of mine who was going through a, uh, an ordeal. It was a divorce. And it was not a biblical, we're not going to talk about the divorce here, but he wanted, to, he wanted to leave his wife. And I was sharing with him, he was a believer, and I says, here, read the Bible. He's like, I don't want to read that. He said, I don't want to read that. I said, you need to get right with God. He said, I don't want to get right with God because he could not make me stay with that woman. And, and that's just a simple way to look at that. But think about that. That's who we are. We don't want to get right with God. We don't want to read some things. Or, and then we read it and we don't like it. Uh, let's, 
Let's allegorize that. It really don't mean what it says. Let's make it easy on us. Let's not do that. Let's be submissive to the scriptures. Psalm 118, 118, 119, verse 118 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Think about this. Because God is outside of time, what is written to him has always been written. It doesn't change. It's never changed. It's always been the same. The scriptures are timeless truths that have always been and always will be applicable to you and to me. And in our text here, the first truth that I believe Paul has led to highlight is that the Word of God is profitable for salvation. The Word of God is profitable for salvation. Look at verse 15 again. The scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. We find salvation in these words. Jesus said in John 5, 39, search the scriptures for in them. ye think you have eternal life. He's not denying that. But he says they are they which testify of me. I am the life. Friends, this this concept of salvation, it's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest concept, the greatest truth in reference to our need. The greatest truth. The Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise. How would we know anything about salvation if we didn't have the written Word of God? It would be passed down from word, word, word of mouth. And you've known that. You played the game when you were in school. You know, you whisper in one person's ear. And the time you get the other side, you know, you said you want chocolate. And now that guy wants peanut butter. However that works, you know. But we have the preserved Word of God. It doesn't change. And it's profitable for us for salvation. I want to point out, first of all, again, that all of the New Testament was not written yet. When, when Paul wrote this, even though we've, we believe that it's all Scripture, we have other texts that prove that all of this text, all the, New Testament, all the New Testament is, in fact, the Lord's Word. But when Paul wrote this to Timothy, all of, the, all of the New Testament wasn't written yet. In fact, as he references to Timothy as a child, none of the New Testament was written yet. So let me get this, or get this share this with you, this thought. If the Old Testament scriptures can lead us to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ, how much more clear is the New Testament? How much more clear is the New Testament for us today? How much clearer can John 3.16 be? I mean, really, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's pretty clear. How much more clear can Romans 3.23 be? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All means all. How much clearer can Romans 6.23 be? For the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And probably one of my favorites when it comes to leading someone to the Lord, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's crystal clear. That is crystal clear. So if the Old Testament can, can plant in the heart and mind of Timothy's grandmother to have faith in God, of faith in his mother, and that can pass on to Timothy that when Paul gets there in Lystra and Derby to lead Timothy to the Lord, it was easy because he was already prepared because he had faith in the true God. The New Testament does so much more for us because it's so much more clear. Friends, you hold in your hand the very words of life. The words of redemption in your hands, trusting the Bible, bring salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that great? It's, it's, it's just wonderful. Maybe I'm the only one that's excited. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a handful of us here. Praise the Lord. But verse 16 again, I want you to point out that, that after salvation and after knowing that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, Paul writes that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for a number of things, beginning with doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine. Think about what he means there. Now, the Scriptures, again, only about maybe a fourth or maybe a third of the New Testament has been written by now. So the bulk of the Scriptures that that he is referring to is in the Old Testament. So simply put, this is a reference to the complete teachings of Scripture from creation to the second coming, from original, ten, uh, original sin to the second Adam. All of it is profitable for doctrine from cover to cover. And therefore it has, because it's inspired, no admixture of error. Every word, even the accents, the Bible says, every jot and tittle, the Bible says, are preserved all of it is profitable for teaching. The whole counsel of God. I, I think I can part there for a long time because you can go to Baptist churches or even Bible believing churches. And it's like they're in the same context all the time. The same thing. They want to they want to jump on their pet peeve sin that they don't have a problem with. And they want to jump on that sin. And that's all they talk about. The whole council is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to preach this. All of it is profitable for, for doctrine, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the Gospels, the epistles, everything. Profitable for doctrine. And it is the foundation of all that we do as a church. All that we do. Then look at number three. The Word of God is profitable for reproof. For reproof. You see there again in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. The word reproof is akin to the word conviction, which we'll talk about again when we get to preaching the word. But in context here, Paul is saying that the scriptures have the final say. When I was when I was a child, um, my father, we were a very you think we were born in. In mosaic time, because my father had the rod of iron. <laughs> what he said went, always. We could argue all day long that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I would say 2 plus 2 equals 4, because, you know, I was the better one. I'm just kidding. And then my sister would say 2 plus 2 equals 5. And we'd go to dad, and he's like, no, 2 plus 2 equals 6. And that was settled, because dad said so. That's the concept that Paul is talking about with the Word of God. The Word of God says it in the story End of story. The scriptures are what we should compare our lives to, to see if we need a course correction. That's what it means to get reproof. A course correction in faith and a course correction in practice. You know, there was an American congregationalist preacher around the turn of the 19th century. His name was, I always have difficulty pronouncing his first name, but his last name was Judson. His first name is Adoniram. Yeah, I think I got that right. I probably won't say that again. But his last name was Judson. And he made it a point. He, he has a long story. He was a very intelligent man. He taught himself Greek and Hebrew when he was a teenager. Very fluent in it. He ended up tra translating the complete Bible in the Burmese language later on. Very intelligent man. Very gifted man. But he made it a commitment to be committed to the text. No matter what. He was a congregationalist. And on his way to Burma, he, he believed that God called him there. He was going as a congregationalist preacher. And congregationalists 
promote infant baptism, right? And we're not going to get into all that this morning, but congregations promote that, and he was a, a, a believer in that. He, I mean, staunch believer. That's what he was taught. That's what he was believing. But on his way to England, he knew that he was going to meet William Carey, who's considered the father of modern-day missions. He was a Baptist. So Mr. Judson said, well, baptism certainly going to come up. So I need to study to make sure I have a defense for infant baptism. So when I get off that boat, I can show him in the text. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I didn't come to this lightly. Here's the text. Well, Adoniram Judson got off the boat as a Baptist. And William Carey asked him to preach in his church. And to William Carey's words, he said, I have never heard a better sermon on baptism by a man who just submitted to the text. My point is, no matter how far we get, well, if I preach this for 20 years or preach the Bible for 20 years, it doesn't matter. Be submissive to the text. These are the words of life. It doesn't, we're not submissive to a denomination. We're not submissive to any kind of calling or anything like that, of man anyway, but to the text. Follow the text. We must never get to a point where we do not allow the scriptures to change us. Never. All scripture is profitable for reproof. We must grow. And then number four, the word of God is profitable for correction. Right there in the text, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Now the word used for correction, it should be understood like it is, but it has an emphasis in the Greek on restoration. Like the reproof kind of shows us where we need a course correction. And this uh, correction here in the, in the Greek here is kind of telling us that, okay, here are some things that are wrong, but here's also how you get it right. How to get it right. Some correction, some restoration. And if you think about it, restoration is always the biblical goal for correction. God doesn't want to correct us and just leave us out there. He wants to restore us. And this is what the scriptures do for us. A devout study of the Word of God will not only show us where we fall short, but how to be restored to back where we need to be with God. On more than one occasion, more than one occasion, I myself personally have fallen short in, in an area where I know the Bible teaches I should do this. I did what's the opposite of that. I did something. I didn't fill the, the goal there. I didn't meet the standard. But I have used the text and the passages to receive spiritual restoration, namely the Psalms. The Psalms just, they're so magnificent. We see, um, we see David's heart and really we see the heart of God coming through man's heart there in David um, about what it means to repent and get right and to be restored. The Word of God. It's, a great, it's, it's great and we need it for restoration. And then I want you to look at uh, number five. The Word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Strong's Concordance defines righteousness as the way in which we may attain a state approved of God. How do we get to a, a, a leveling field where we are approved of God? And the Bible here gives us, in many places, instructions how to do so. Here it says the Bible is the instruction on how to get right with the Lord. And to me, this is fascinating because not only does the Bible first show us the way to Christ, and then it shows us the greater truths of God. Not only does it show us when we're wrong and how to get restored, but it also tells us how to stay right. It tells us how to stay in, uh, in a right light with God. Remember that passage in, in uh, 1 John where it says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. 
Praise God for that voice, for that verse. I mean, our hearts, we're, we're a fallen people. Our hearts condemn us. We know we're not right with God. We're, we're repentant. We're, we're doing the right thing. And God says, don't worry about those things. I've paid for those sins. I am greater than your convictions. But the next part of that verse, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence before God. We can live in confidence before God. And the Bible instructs us on how we can do that. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction in righteousness. And just to be clear before we kind of go to our, our next main point here, I'm, I'm not here this morning to make much of the Bible because it's something preachers do or something Baptists do. But I am here to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, have, I heard a, an old uh, an elder, an older missionary friend of mine, Brother Birch, tell me, you go wherever you go, you make much of Jesus, and he'll make much of you. And we want to do that there this morning. We want to always do that. Our life should be about making much for the Lord Jesus Christ. But considering that he is also God, he is God. These are his words. These are his words. So think about that for a moment. Even in our relationships with each other, between your your spouse, your husband and wife, wife to husband, children. Our love and respect is shown in how much we pay attention to their words. Right? We, we, are, we show our love and how much we pay attention to them and especially their words. So why or how can it be any different when it comes to Jesus Christ? These are His words. We are His church. We are His bride. His followers, His disciples. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. His workmanship. So if we are His work, we are His work. He molded us to who we are. We should know His Word. We should know His Word. Why? So as the text says that we can be made perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. To serve Him. But not only... As you already know where I'm going here, not only should we be concerned for our own well-being, own well-being Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So as followers of Christ, as true followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a deep desire that others may be made perfect and furnished unto God. So look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. And hopefully we won't be here too long. We only got 15, 20 minutes left. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Friends, we need to preach. We need to preach the word. Upon any understanding of the scriptures, for all of us, there comes an inherent responsibility to share the word of God, to share what we know. And I believe this is one of the signs of spiritual growth. To put it informally and maybe in some Tennessee jargon here, to share what you got from what you read means that you got what you read. Right? Makes sense. It means God's work, or God's word is doing a work in you. It's evidence that it's doing something. Remember that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Right. Think about that. Now, when we eat bread, what does it do for us? It gives us nutrients. It gives us all those things. And 
he's kind of likening himself to the truths, the nutrients, the spiritual nutrients of believing in him. So when we believe in him, there's nutrients, spiritual energy, if you will, that compels us to live and work in a different kind of way. So the word of God is the same thing. When we eat or believe and study the word of God, it's going to nourish us. It's going to do things in our bodies and in our minds and our hearts that we cannot do on our own. We need to share and preach what we have. Granted, we can never fully teach or preach what we don't fully understand, but we can teach what we do understand. Every believer has some understanding that the unbeliever does not have. This certainly doesn't mean we're intellectually superior, not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we are not superior in any way. We are simply sinners saved by grace. Amen. Sinners saved by grace. And the knowledge of salvation that was graciously passed on to us at one time in the past, we believed. We believed. And because of God's grace, He made us new creatures. He chose to reside in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And with that residing, He gave us the, the ability to understand the text. It's not our ability. It's God's ability. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. But for the believer whom God chose to reside in, the Bible states in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit of God shall teach us. God shall lead us and teach us in accordance with the Word of God. Now this, of course, depends on our willingness. God is a gentleman. It depends on our willingness to learn, to be led. But my point this morning in this context here is that as a believer... We at least have the knowledge of salvation. At, at a foundational level, we have the knowledge of salvation and we have the Word of God in our hands. So those two things together bring upon us an inherent responsibility, not just to know the Word, but to preach the Word, to share the Word of God. And for the record, this isn't just preaching from a pulpit. Although this charge is clearly to a pastor, but it can be as simple as sharing the gospel message. Preaching is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. The biblical definition. Share the word of God. Somebody shared it with you. Either directly or indirectly, God used some person to convey his truth to you. And we must do it to others and for others. And following the text here, we, we do see that preaching is more than just preaching salvation. Salvation is... Always in it. It's, it's both elementary and graduate or doctorate level, however you want to look at it. Salvation permeates all of the doctrines of Scripture. But preaching is the whole counsel of God. He doesn't say preach the gospel, although that's in other places. He says preach the word. Preach the word. Friends, I believe this includes preaching the cross. It includes preaching Christ and the whole counsel of Christ. That means from cover to cover, we preach the book. And God, through Paul, gives us here four characteristics of preaching that are important for you and I to keep in mind when we preach Christ, when we preach His cross, and when we preach His counsel. Number one, preach always. Always. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Instant means to be always ready. I like instant oatmeal. You know, I just push the button and it's done. 
I think the reference here is not to a microwave, of course, but be always ready. I had a friend of mine 20 some years ago. He always said, I always have a message. The preacher called me to preach. I have a message. If I'm in an elevator with the Lord tells me to share the gospel, I always have something. And we should be like that. We should be always ready, instant, in season and out of season, ready to preach in an instant. And then Paul defines this phrase here, in season and out of season. What does it mean to be out of season? Look at verses 3 and 4. A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They will go to one church or they will go to one friend and that friend will tell them a gospel. That doesn't sound good to me. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I'm dirty, rotten, sinner and needs to be saved. I don't want to hear that. I want to go to some other teacher and allow them to tell me that everything is just great. That's not a friend. Preach the gospel, Paul says, because there's a time coming, whether in that individual, whether in the gathering of believers or whether in the world, there's going to be a time when nobody wants to listen to the truth anymore. Friends, I think we're getting close. We are getting close. There will be a time when even professing Christians will forget the cross, according to 1 Peter or 2 Peter, and not care for the truths of God. We are getting close. Romans chapter 1 gives you all those things about end times. Pretty scary in there. But personally, I believe it applies to professing believers. That's the difference of the first century. All these things have been true for all these many centuries. But as we get close to the end, it's going to be those who are the religious that are doing the things that you thought the pagans were doing years ago. Friends, we must preach the word. We must preach the word. We must share the word, share the gospel, share it when it's popular. Share it when it's not popular. Share the word. Preach always. Then number two, preaching includes reproving. Reproving. Look at verse 2. It says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove. This means preaching. Biblical preaching includes conviction. Conviction. Now, this, this next statement is, would have offended me at one point in time. But get this. The Bible is truth. And being offended by the truth is sometimes the first step in our conformity. If it's true and we're not in truth... It should offend us, and we should study why it offends us, and then make a decision to be conformed to the truth. But I also want to point out that cultural norms, how things change in culture, they may dictate how we deliver the truth, but they never define the truth. The truth doesn't change. There's no counseling the truth. Again, the culture may package the truth differently, but the truth never changes. It cannot change. It is the word of God forever settled in heaven. So for us to allow the truth of Scripture alone to bring conviction, our packaging of the truth must not be offensive. That's difficult to do. But we must deliver the truth, as the the Bible says here, with all long-suffering and doctrine, with patience, mercy, grace, and doctrine. Found it in the scriptures. And again, it's scriptures that we must align with. I've been in and around church for a long time. It's scripture we must align with, not preferences. It is the book. Some folks, some preachers are quick to reprove when their preferences are violated 
and not so quick to reprove when the scriptures are violated. We must be focused on the text. It is the book that we align with, not anything else. We must allow the scriptures to change us, to reprove us, because these are the words of inspiration. Not mine and not yours. This is the words of inspiration. And then number three, we see that preaching includes rebuking. We don't like these things, do we? Reproving and rebuking. Can we get to the exhortation here? We're coming. It's coming. But if we can understand reproving to be preaching with conviction, preaching that includes rebuking is a little more direct. It's calling out sin for what it is. It can even be personal, one-on-one. Remember, this is not always from a pulpit. And and I would say rarely is personal rebuking from a pulpit. I I can't think of a scenario where I would do that. I would follow the Lord. But rarely is that from the pulpit. Rebuking, however, is a direct charge to change. You're doing this. Like pretend between you and another person, you're doing this, you need to stop doing that. In love, of course. It's a direct change of direction to cease and desist something. For example, the same Greek word is used when Jesus rebuked the wind. Stop. (laughs) You're going the wrong way, wind. Go somewhere else. Peter tried to rebuke Jesus from going to the cross in Matthew 16. Peter did not want Jesus to go to the cross. At that time. So our takeaway is that sometimes we need to we need to be rebuked and sometimes we need to share rebuke again in accordance with the word of God. This is what preaching is and has to be from time to time. And the intended result for rebuke is repentance. Right. There's no it's always restoration. Matter of fact, that's a good sign of our good. A good rule of thumb, I guess, for Arguments in your marriage, right? In my marriage. I learned this. I learned this. So when I'm arguing with my wife or she's arguing with me, which is more the latter. I'm just kidding. She's perfect and she's going to hear this later. But um, the goal must always be restoration. You can't just go in there. Well, I'm going to just jab this and make her mad. That's that's not right. The goal should always be restoration. And we should be leading back to restoration. A change of direction. Rebuke leads to repentance. And then lastly, I want to point out in this context here, biblical preaching includes exhorting. Exhorting. The Bible says there, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come that they will not hear. This last characteristic is our favorite. We want to be built up. That's what exhorting means, to build up. Well, this is the one we most look for. We want to come to church many times, and we want to read the Bible, and we look for ex- exhortation. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. We should have exhortation. We should build up. If you're always being beat down, there's, there's some that always talking about what you can't do and not about what the liberty of the things we cannot do or can do. So I'm going to make this, let me make this clear in my own mindset as the pastor of Homeless Baptist Church. I don't want to be known. I don't want this church to be known about what we cannot do. I want to be known for a church that follows Jesus Christ, that we love him and we do the things that he wants us to do. And part of that is being exhorted in the word. We all desire, again, to be encouraged. It's, it is part of the purpose for preaching, to encourage others to do things, to live right for the Lord. But true exhortation is built upon the truths of Scripture. In other words, if preaching never reproved or if preaching never rebuked, 
then it would also never exhort. We must be following the text. True exhortation is not to encourage or pacify some wrongdoing. It's to build one up based on the truths of Scripture. And our goal must always be to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I realize that as we kind of come to a close here, that today's sermon is a little different. At least it is to me. But again, our goal is to please Him. And there's no pleasing Christ without following the guidelines of Scripture. These are the words of life. These are the words of life, which when we study and we rightly divide, it brings approval to our God. Do we not want to be approved of our God? Absolutely we want to do. I've said this before, that our commitment to Christ will be evident in our commitment to His church. And I believe that with strong conviction. But this next statement is also true. Our commitment to Christ will also never be greater than our commitment to His Word. These are His words. They're not just the Bible of Holmes Baptist Church or any other church. These are God's words. So if we're committed to Him, and if He were standing here, our commitment, if you're committed to your boss somewhere, and He tells you to do something, and you go do it, that kind of it shows your commitment to the words that came out of His mouth. These are the words that came out of our Savior's mouth. Our commitment to Him will always be, never be greater than our commitment to His Word. So know His Word. Heed His Word. Preach His Word. It is profitable for every stage in your life. You'll never outgrow the Word of God. Hebrews 12.4 says this. The Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is only, only by the Word of God that we can be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto good works. Let us pray.